This is the Hymn Publications Podcast, and I'm Chad Harrington. Today we're talking about the spiritual discipline of study, which is class 5 of 8 in our mini-series on spiritual formation. It was recorded live during a class at Harpeth Christian Church in Franklin, Tennessee. I start by sharing my journey toward enjoying God's Word into what's called the second naivete, as a way to encourage you in your journey and to let you know where I'm coming from as I teach. So listen to a biblical theology of the Word of God, common barriers that keep us from God's Word, and an introduction to Lectio Divina. The bulk of this class session, though, is about the five essential practices, at least according to me, of developing a rich life with God through Scripture. I also share resources, guides, and practical guidance along the way. By the way, you can get the class notes and exercises that I mention in this episode by finding our contact info at himpublications.com slash about. That's himpublications.com slash about. Now here's the class session. Good morning. This is Spiritual Formation Class 5 on study. Study comes before prayer. Because actually it's the first word of prayer. God's word. Our prayers come in response to what he's already spoken. So we've learned to stop. Now we've learned to listen, and then we'll learn to speak. So today is really a lesson in listening. And I want to start by sharing my story about discovering to delight in God's Word. I mentioned in an earlier session that my first encounter with God in a really meaningful and personal way was in middle school. What I may not have mentioned is that there was a deep period of doubt, like a dark period. I was, I believe that I was clinically depressed. I don't know for sure, but I was, I was basically depressed my sophomore and junior year of high school. And a lot of that actually had to do with my doubt in God's word, which is really a doubt in God himself, right? If you don't necessarily trust someone's word, you don't trust them, right? Moving kind of not past that, but through that season, I actually ended up my senior year sort of recalibrating, and I decided to go into ministry. So I went to Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, which is a Bible college. And for the next long while, I went deep into critical study of the Word. Now, it wasn't only that, but if I think kind of about that stretch, what would mostly characterize it is a certain kind of study of God's Word more of an academic approach. Um, But what I came to find out later is that that's not necessarily on the teachers or anyone. That's more of how I was approaching it. And this lasted through, you know, college and, and a little bit beyond, but it was very much focused on that critical study of the word where you're sort of analyzing it, which has its place. Eventually, though, the word became hard for me to read and I didn't want to read it anymore. So this is after Bible college, and then I also went to seminary for a year, halfway through uh, my degree, and I actually, um, I actually dropped out of seminary. Took three or four years to just be. <laughs> That's kind of how it was. I mean, it was, it was a tough season. I, did, I, just, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't really know who I was. In a lot of ways, it was maybe my quarter-life crisis, but a lot of it actually had to do with God's Word. 
and just saying, okay, like I believe in God, I trust God. It's just, I feel burned out. And the word became more like a problem to be solved than a gift to be received during that season. And again, that's on me, right? Or that's, that's maybe just part of my journey. But then as I entered my late 20s, in the spring of 2013, I asked a mentor of mine, what advice do you have for me as I basically enter the last three years of my 20s? Uh, and he said, learn to enjoy God and his word. I, I wasn't saying, what's your advice for me as I studied the Bible? I said, in general, in my life, what advice do you have for me? And that's what he told me. Learn to enjoy God in the word. And I, it like came out of left field for me. I was like, okay. And so I started the practice of meditation on the word. And God changed my life. I started specifically in the Psalms and worked slowly through them. That also happened to be the year that I read almost everything that Dallas Willard has written. I decided to study him as a person. It also happened to be the year that he died on May 13th, 2013. And so I feel this deep connection with Dallas Willard, who wrote the book that we're reading. Um, and, And he really helped me walk through that journey. And so... What happened is I moved into what some people have called the second naivete. So, you know, when you're young, you don't realize that there are challenges. Uh, There are skeptics to the Bible who have critical issues. There's total fields in scholarship, biblical scholarship, devoted to certain sorts of biblical criticism. Criticism, not in a negative way, but just in a like, that's what it's called when you look at how the Bible was formed over the, the centuries, over the decades. It's called, you know, things like redaction criticism. Then there's literary criticism. There's rhetorical crit- There's all these different sorts of criticisms, right? So you move from like, you know, I go to Sunday school to, wait, there's questions about how the Bible came together. Not everything is perfectly clear. Then you start saying, okay, and then you, you go into the critical mode, not in a bad way, but in a real way. And some people never leave that. So there's, there's, a neg- there's almost like a, a road diverges in the woods where you go, okay, I don't believe in God, I don't trust his word. Or you go, wow, even in the details, even in the criticisms, even in the specific study of God's word, I have still found God. And not only that, but I still trust in his word and there's answers to my questions and you go a different path. But either way, you've gone through the woods of critical study. You've entered into that aspect of being a disciple of Jesus in our context. There's a place that comes after that. Called the, it's called the second naivete. It's where you're sort of naive again, but it's not like you forget where you've been. It's this synthesis of sort of having this hopeful optimism and like bliss without knowing that there's challenges. And it also mixes in the fact that, that you've questioned things, but you're no longer in a state of constant questioning. You are in a sort of a naivete again. And this is a real thing. And so if you have skeptic 
friends or you are a skeptic or you're still in that critical place, meditation and going deep into the Word of God can be a bridge for you to move through that where you're no longer sort of like this with God's Word. You can learn again to enjoy God's Word. I've been there. So keep going. And so my story is that what ended up happening is that now I can sort of go into the critical mode, but in a moment I can also go into that deep connection with the Lord reading His Word. It's like having these things you can turn on and turn off. That's actually possible. So depending on where you're at, I just wanted to share my story to say it's a journey. And there's going to be like this dynamism to your journey if you go on it for any certain amount of time. And if you get overwhelmed by, what are the Nephilim, you know? It's like, okay, I'm going to Google that. And then you're like, that's overwhelming. And then it's like, but there's that one scholar that I trust, or there's that one pastor, or there's that one teacher that I trust. And this is what he or she said. And, and then you can land somewhere with it. And then you can move on. You can trust people. You cannot figure it all out. And you can still read those passages and be like, it's God's word. So my goal today is to help you learn how to dig deep the well to draw out God's word. So that you can draw from that well for the rest of your life. What I want to do today is is equip you so that you have the tools, you have the motivation, and you have the resources in order to dig that well that can serve you for the rest of your life. And I do want to say this. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. But the things I'm going to teach you today, I didn't learn in a class. These were My journey with the Word was outside of class. These were things that I did on my own, right? Now, it can overlap, but I'm telling you, my journey with God's Word was separate from my journey through Bible college and seminary. You can do all that stuff and completely miss the beauty of God's Word and enjoying it. So what I'm saying is that this is available to all of us. This is not something for seminarians. This This is just God's Word. So... I want to give you a biblical theology of the word. It's like kind of meta, right? And then I want to talk about the barriers that keep us from engaging in the word and describe what it means to enjoy the word, give you some basic essential practices, not basic in the sense of here's how to read the Bible, but like basic practices on the deep and rich life. And then I want to give you some recommendations for further study. Because what I'm going to do today is going to touch on the surface of a lot of things. And you could, I mean, this could be a whole class itself. But I'm going to give you kind of where you're at. You'll have resources and tools to go further. Also, there's a lot more PDFs and print-offs this week than normal. But I've tried to give you only and exactly what I think would be most helpful to you. So if you're online, you can download those as PDFs. If you're in person, they were at the, the table in the back. Um, these are important, um, and I do want to say that there is a study worksheet. It has one question on it. So 
I think you can do that. The one question is the most important question. Um, so let me give you a biblical theology of the word. And the reason I want to do this is to inspire you and to show you and maybe remind you of how powerful the word of God is. So in creation, in Genesis 1.1, we see that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And it says the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the chronicle of what happens is that God spoke and creation came into existence. God's word is powerful to create. In exile, God's word is intended to be internalized, mold over. Because in Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, it says, From God, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, which represented God's word. And Ezekiel says, so I opened my mouth, I ate it, and tasted it as sweet as honey in my mouth. We're intended to consume God's Word and let it go down into our bellies, and it tastes sweet. Even if, like Ezekiel, the Word is hard to hear. In ruin, God's Word has power to make dead people live. Ezekiel chapter 37 tells the story of the valley of dry bones and it says that the bones were very dry when Ezekiel showed up in this prophetic vision and God says to him prophesy to these bones and say to them dry bones hear the word of the Lord this is what the sovereign Lord says I will make breath enter you and you will come to life Ezekiel says so I prophesied as I was commanded And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. The Word of God has power to breathe life where things weren't just dead, but they were very dead. If you've lost heart because you feel like you're living in a valley of dry bones, God's Word has the power to resurrect you. In the temptation of Christ, God's Word provided Jesus sustenance. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus says, To Satan, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's Word sustains our bodies like bread feeds our bodies. In Jesus, God's Word has total power over creation. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says that my word is something to build your life around by obedience. And then he says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. God's word is something to rearrange our lives around, not to fit into our lives. In pastoral training and in formation and in discipleship, God's Word is useful. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's not just useful some of the time. It's not just useful part of it. All Scripture is God-breathed for every good work. In our hearts, God's Word pierces. 
In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, even penetrating to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It pierces our lives. In sanctification, God's word cleanses. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says that the reason Christ died was because Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Not the written word on the text, but the spoken word of Christ. In spiritual battle, God's word is intended to be spoken not only by Christ, but by us. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, and the sword of the spirit, which is the spoken word of God. Now, your translations probably don't say that, but rhema in Greek always means the spoken word of God. And it's strong and powerful only when we speak it to each other and for each other. And at the second coming, God's word defeats the enemy. His name is Jesus. And in Revelation 19, verse 13, Jesus is coming on a white horse and his eyes are blazing like fire and on his head are many crowns. And he's wearing a robe that's dipped in blood and on that robe and on his thighs are written the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he comes, he'll come with the sword coming out of his mouth to defeat the nations in his name is the word of God. The word of God is powerful. And when we study the Word, we're not really studying a book. Yeah, it's in a book, but what we're actually studying is a person, and his name is Jesus. That reframes things. We're not just studying a book, we're beholding our Master. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, Paul says something profound. He describes a life of total sensuality where people simply indulge into all their lusts. And then he says, but you did not learn Christ that way. He didn't say, and you didn't study the Bible that way. He didn't say, and you didn't gather knowledge about Jesus that way. He said you didn't learn Christ that way. Now again, some of your translations may not say it quite like that. But that's what it says. It's a little hard to translate. How do you learn Christ? It's about as hard as understanding how powerful the Word of God is in about five minutes. Learning and studying the Word is submitting ourselves to sitting at the feet of Jesus, our Master. And that isn't just a one-time thing. It's not a season. We do. It's something we practice for our whole lives. And the longer we sit at His feet, the deeper He takes us. And so what I want to say is this. It's possible that you have misperceived what the Word of God is you may believe that it's just this book in our hands. It's just this 
text gathering dust on the shelf that we brush off every now and then. It might just be words to analyze. It might just be stories that are confusing. The Word of God, though, is contained in the Bible. But it's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's more power. The Word of God is a reality that transcends anything that we can contain in a book. I think it's almost... Um, it, it, Dallas Willard actually brings this up. He says, in one of his books, he says, that God, he believes intentionally, didn't give us the original autographs of any of these texts. Because that would have tempted us to worship the text more than the reality that the text captures. In other words, the Word of God was the Word of God before it was written down. And so when we study the Word, we're actually studying something that goes beyond the Bible. Now be careful with what I said there, okay? Think through and maybe, maybe re-listen to this, because the Bible contains the Word, but the Word goes beyond that. In other words, Jesus didn't pull out His scroll in the desert in Matthew chapter 4, and that's when He had the Word. The Word of God comes from the mouth of God. And as we commune with God, as we learn from God, as we study the Word, we're getting to what comes from the mouth of God, which is recorded here, but they're, they're different substantially. Okay. Let me pause there and just say, does that make sense? Jim? Yes, but no. Okay, what doesn't make sense about it? Yeah, so... Um, I believe the canon is closed. So Jim's question was, like, what, what goes beyond it? The canon is closed. God intended us to have the 66 books of the Bible. Okay. But what I'm saying is that um, if, if it's a, a Venn diagram, God's, or really just a chart, it would be there's a circle around which is God's Word, and in that is the Bible. God has spoken things that are not contained in the Word. He still speaks to us, but it's not written in the Bible, okay? Um, but what we're talking about is the study of God's Word throughout history. Um, as recorded in the Bible is our primary way to do it, uh, to study. But I just want you to understand that that's not all that God's Word means, according to Scripture. The Scriptures we went through reveal this definition that I'm articulating. But knowing that the Word of God is recorded in the Bible, but is bigger and beyond the Bible, is important, I think, for how we understand how powerful it is. I mean, Jesus' name is the Word of God, right? So that's kind of what I'm saying. Okay. Is that clear? Okay. So, I think people ask, what is the Bible? So, let's, like, let's talk about the Bible. And, and people will say, well, it's God's love letter to us. And I'll say this. Yes, but it's not just that. It's also a political treatise. It's history. It's poetry. It's apocalypse. It's books of advice. It's parables. It's chronicles. It's biography. It's prophecy. <laughs> love letters don't have all that. But it is God's love to us. And we should treat it like that. Knowing that it's more than that. So here's... Here's sort of a question that I have. What keeps us from God's Word? So now that we've journeyed into a clear vision of what God's Word is and how powerful it is, 
Why do we struggle to enjoy God's Word and find life in it? You know, I, I really do think that a lack of vision is the number one reason we don't see value in it. But I think also, and, and this is true of all of us on some level, we lack general knowledge. We lack specific knowledge. <laughs> we don't know where to start. So today I want to give you a place to start. We lack tools, I think, practical tools on how to study. And I want to give you some tools today. I think another reason is we have content overload in our society. I mean, we're getting messages left and right. When we talk about the word, we are bombarded by words. I mean, it's in our Facebook feed. It's on the billboards. It's on the radio. It's, it's in our ears with the podcast. It's, we have so much content and one of the really damaging things that can happen as a result of all these little sound bites is that we don't learn how to dig deep the well from which we draw the word. Because we're not used to it. We're used to that hit, that dopamine hit from a little red notification on an app. We're used to instant gratification with regard to content. And so when it's like, and then open a book, it's like, I don't really read books anymore. <laughs> and it's like, ah. Oh. And Job continued his discourse, as surely as God lives, who has denied me justice. It's like, what does that mean? You know, I'll just put it down. I think we also get bored reading the word. That's weird. How can we get bored? Well, it happens. But why is the question? I think it has to do with our approach. I think sometimes we're lazy about the word. We simply don't want to put in the work. And so having a clear vision helps motivate us to embrace the effort part of this. Because it does take effort. There's a reason God doesn't download for you, for me, or even the Son of God incarnate. Every word. He had to learn, just like we have to learn. And I don't understand that mystery. I think sometimes we're obligated, so we feel like we have to read the Word, but our heart's not in it. We have to ask God for this. We have to ask God for the heart to approach God's Word. And then I think just our general approach to God's Word is off-kilter. What I mean by this is, generally, a lot of us, by habit or by disposition or by cultural influence, approach God's Word selfishly. This is most clearly and often uh, discernible by the sentence, I didn't get anything out of it. That very statement is wrong. We don't go to God's Word to get something out of it. God's getting something out of us as we go to His Word. It's similar to coming to church to get something out of it. Really, you go to the altar to get and not to give? I think our approach needs to be tweaked. Here's what it looks like with God's Word. We approach God's Word, and by the way, this comes from Michael Casey's book, Sacred Reading, which I'll talk about in a minute. But he talks about God's Word being treated as a medicine chest. We try to fix our problems whenever we've got an illness by picking a verse, or a passage. <laughs> we play Bible roulette, which is 
God, speak to me. Leviticus 25, that's not right. <laughs> that one's dangerous, but I must say there are two cases I know of where it was used legitimately, So, but it's not a good general practice. One is Augustine, the other is Thomas Merton, but that's for another day. Then there's grazing reading. This is reading like we eat when we're hungry late at night. We just sort of graze, get what we want, and uh, keep going. Uh, I'm tired. <laughs> then there's texts that fit really well in our systematic sequences of Scripture. Oh, yeah, that's from the Romans Road. Yeah. But we don't understand the context outside of our system of thought. And we can use and abuse for, um, for these systems what was really something taken out of context. The systems aren't inspired. The Romans Road is not inspired. The four laws are not inspired, although they, they get at some truth. But when we use texts for what we get out of it or what we can teach with it, it becomes dangerous. And I think that that's another one. Reading in order to teach, not reading in order to be fed, in order to be nourished toward action and obedience. When we're reading for the sake of other people primarily, it can get dangerous. And when you're leading any sort of ministry, when you're leading your home, when you're preparing for a devotional, this becomes very tempting because it's like, I've got to have something to say. But let me say this. Think about what you like to hear when someone teaches. Do you like to hear regurgitated lessons that they've heard before, that they did in order to be cute, or in order to sound smart? Or do you like to receive teaching and preaching from people who have eaten the Word, internalized it, and what comes out is powerful by God's Spirit? Do what you want to receive from others. When you're preparing for some sort of teaching... Learn how to dig deep the well and to draw from that well so that even when you're in a hurry, you can quickly go to the water source that only comes from the depths. Because the water we draw from the depths tastes better. It's not murky. It doesn't have the algae and the moss in it. It's fresh, it's flowing, and it's vibrant. And so what I want to do is, I want to help you enjoy the Word. Because if you don't enjoy it, if you don't find the life from it, then you're not going to study it, you're not going to go to it. That's just how life is. And what I want to say is, that God intended us to delight in the Word. You know, how do we, how do we when we're in the desert, after 40 days of fasting... Responded temptation by quoting the word. Like I said, Jesus didn't pull out his scroll and was like, here we go. This was from the overflow of the heart. And he was able to, to quote Deuteronomy 6 and then Deuteronomy 8. Right? How did he do that? How did he know? He wasn't just quick-witted. He wasn't just the Son of God. He had spent time ruminating and thinking about the word. And so the goal is not just to read or to study, but to saturate ourselves in the word when people cut us we should bleed the word 
That's the goal. To be people of the Word means that we have to be saturated in the Word. And there's a general posture and a name to this. It's called Lectio Divina, which means divine reading. And I want to get into this later, but know for now that it's qualitatively different than any other form of reading that we do. In other words, how we read the Word should be different than how we read almost any other text. The only exception would be other spiritual writings. But even there, it's still different because of the weight and inspiration of God's Word. So how do we do this? It's by taking a humble posture toward the Word and by taking a long-term approach. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, God says, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. Physically shaking because God has spoken. That's the one who God esteems, Isaiah says. That's called humility. When we come under the word of God, we hold it high in our lives (laughs) and in our hearts. But we just kind of throw it to the side. It's on the floor. It's, it's just an extra add-on to our Christian life. I got my salvation. No. How do we approach God's Word? It's with trembling and humility. And if we don't approach it by coming under it, but instead come over it, we use it, we manipulate it, We stand on top of it, and our interpretation is not guided by the Bible itself. It's guided by our own preconceived notions. It's guided by our own whims and and our own desires and what we want it to say, not what it actually says. Humility comes under the Word, not over the Word. Developing that heart and that posture comes only by the Spirit of God as we submit to Him. And so we need to spend regular time and and space saturating ourselves in it. And so what I want to do is I want to teach you the ABCs of the rich life in the Word. Now this is not the ABCs of, of Bible study that you would learn in Sunday school. This is the ABCs of a deep, rich life in the Word. In other words... I'm not teaching you the basics of Bible study. I'm teaching you the elements, the essential elements to delighting in God's Word. And let me just say this. It's going to take a long time. Just like anything else good. Wine, cheese, friendship. It comes over time. But in a culture used to instant gratification, this is rare. So I want to give you literally the ABCs of how to do this. And the first one is all of the Bible. If you've never read all of the Bible, let me just encourage you. Just do it. Think about it like this. If God's Word is actually from God, which it is, and you haven't read all the words, 
what if the missing key to a certain part of your life is literally written in the Bible? You just haven't read it yet. It's like, I mean, if someone discovered, and it was on all the headlines of the news, a new book of the Bible is discovered, and somehow it was real, right? We would all be like, i got to go read it. Like, if a new manuscript was discovered and it was legitimate, we'd all be like, i got to read it. Well, that's kind of how it is if you haven't read the Bible. It's like, what is Hosea all about? You know, what about Nehemiah, Malachi? All of God's word is God's all of God's word is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. All of it. Even the genealogies. Woo! Even Leviticus. What? So A is all of the Bible read at once to start. And then Learn to do a book study. This is B. One thing I just want to mention about uh, all of the Bible before we move on, though, is um, do it in, I would say, either one of two things. Do it in uh, 90 days, three months, or do it in a year. It's tough to kind of do something in between. You can do whatever you want, but just go ahead and start if you've never done it. Uh, There's a Bible reading plan, you know, for, for all sorts of different ways to do the year. But if you're going to do it in 90 days, the NIV Bible in 90 days is a great tool. It's set up just for that purpose. And I would say do that one because it's faster if you've never done it. It's exciting. Also, there's a resource that you have um, in PDF form online, but then in person. It's called The Story of the Kingdom. And this is a summary of the Old Testament in something like 11 pages in seven different acts to get you ready for the New Testament. So if, if you've read the Bible before, maybe you want to read it again, or maybe, maybe you want a refresher on the narrative as a whole, and that's what that was written for, to get you ready to read or, or disciple people in the New Testament. So that's 11 pages. You can read that as a refresher. A book study. Do you guys know what a book study is? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, a book study is taking a book of the Bible. It's funny we call them books, right? But some of them are real short. But a book of the Bible and studying that intentionally, even systematically. It's just, And so I've created a resource that is a step-by-step guide to studying a particular book as a book study. And it is attached to, as a PDF, to your handout. It's called, How to Apply the Inductive Bible Study Method to a Particular Book. And it's five basic steps. It literally gives you point by point, step by step. And there's little check boxes that you can check off as you go along. It also gives you the resources on how to do it. You can do all of this online for free. You don't have to buy anything. Buying a book or whatever can help, but you can do this without it. It's like three or four pages, step by step. Um, and then at the end, there's resources for deeper study on that. So that's a resource for doing a book study. So I'm actually not going to describe it in detail. But if you've never done a book study... That's B in the ABCs. 
So it's almost as important as A. C is concentrated study. And by the way, there are some other resources that I've listed here um, for a book study. Grasping God's Word by Duvall and Hayes. Inductive Bible Study by Bauer and Trena. Um, it's an introduction to the inductive Bible study method. And then there's commentaries that are really helpful for that particular book. Um, the Daily Bible Study series by William Barclay is available for free online <laughs> at the time of this class. And then Tom Wright's got a series on the New Testament um, for every book of the Bible called For Everyone. And so if you're delving into a book study, you should do the, the work that I've outlined here, which includes doing a little study at the beginning to get the general scope and context historically, maybe even genre about that book, and then to do the, the actual study of it, of the text itself. C is concentrated study. Concentrated study is meditation and memorization. If you feel stagnant in your relationship with God through his word, there's one practice above all that I would recommend, and it's part of concentrated study. It's called meditating on God's word. Like literally closing your eyes, sitting down in a comfortable position, opening the Word and meditating on a particular part of it. Now this is interesting because when you look at history, you'll see people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer spending 30 minutes a day meditating, meditating on Scripture. It's like Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a scholar he was this well-read, articulate man, preaching, teaching, <laughs> very interesting story. But it was so important to him to meditate on Scripture that he and the underground church at the time would all meditate on the same Scripture every day, no matter where they were when they were sort of running from the Nazis, right? It was pretty hardcore. That was their spiritual practice that they all had in common, to keep them unified when they were being you know, basically hunted kind of thing. C.S. Lewis, believe it or not, meditated on a New Testament passage of Scripture for 15 minutes every day. Did you know that? I thought that was so cool. So what's the scriptural precedent for this? I think you see it even in the patriarchs. I, um, Isaac, in Genesis, was meditating on a mountainside when he saw his wife, Rebecca, for the first time. Now, what was he meditating on? Well, they didn't have the Bible back then. But like I was saying, he could have and probably was meditating on the Word of God. Okay? But probably the, the best passage is Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which gains its sustenance in season and out of season. Its leaf does not wither. Not so are the wicked who are like shaft that the wind blows away. Psalm 1 
gives us a scriptural precedent for what I'm talking about today. Blessed is the person who delights in God's word. Now, at the time of the psalmist, all the word was for them, in terms of the written form, was the first five books of the Bible, which was called the law. (laughs) You know that part that's hard to read when you're trying to read the Bible in a year? That's what the psalmist describes delighting in. If you can't delight in Leviticus, then you're needing to learn how to delight in the Word again. Or maybe for the first time. What I'm saying is it's possible. I also want to say this about Psalm 1. The word for meditate is really helpful and interesting. It's the same Hebrew word used for the purr, if you could call it, of a lion. It's also used the same word used for murmuring under your breath or a low growl. Meditating in the Hebrew context of Psalm 1 is actually oral. It's out loud. It's vocalized. Dallas Willard goes as far to say in his writings that we should do that too. And I guess the net result of that would be men and women who sound crazy like they're talking to themselves all the time. Day and night, the psalmist says. What? Have you ever meditated on something longer than 10 or 15 minutes? Well, I think you only get to that point if you learn how to meditate for 10 or 15 minutes to start. So what I want to say is part of the ABCs are learning how to meditate at all. And like I said, this is probably the most life-giving practice in my journey over the last seven or eight years. And I didn't do it until then. So, literally, what I recommend is finding a place, and I would say 10 or 15 minutes would be the minimum when you're starting to learn. Once you've practiced it, you can get there quicker, but at the beginning, you're going to struggle to figure out how to do it. So I would block out 15 to 20 minutes. And it's kind of cool, because... No one's going to be there with you. You and the Lord get to figure it out together. And so a really practical way to do this is, number one, start with the Psalms. Read a Psalm, pick out one verse that you like, then pick out one word or phrase that you like in that verse, and just sit in it. Literally, just think about it before the Lord, with your eyes closed, sitting in a comfortable position, the air not too hot or cold, turn your phone off, And just enjoy it. Let it wash over you. And what's amazing in my experience and in the experience of many others is you're raptured up into God. And God does a work there that I can't explain. I believe that God has healed things in my life and in my heart through this practice that would not be possible otherwise, except through perhaps prayer. But even, like I said, even this is a form of prayer. (laughs) Because you're listening to God. So if you haven't cultivated this habit, that's okay. I want to encourage you to do it and do it as soon as possible. Because it's seed. If you're going to do the ABCs, you've got to have seed. 
And if you want to go deeper into, into the heart behind this concept, a lot of it has to do with Lectio Divina, which is, again, short for divine reading. And there's two books that I would recommend that I think have been super helpful for me and excellent. I'm actually not all the way through this one yet, but it was so good. Um, well, I wanted, to, I wanted to freshen up on my understanding. And so I, I bought this and started reading it this week. And it was so good, I wanted to go ahead and recommend it to you. Um, I haven't got to the end, so I don't know if there's any heresy in it. But um, what I've read so far has been just super helpful. Um, if you want to understand Lectio Divina and a lot of this deep saturation in the Word, this is the number one one I would, I would recommend. The number two one is by Eugene Peterson, and it's his story and journey with the Word. It's called Eat This Book, which goes back to Ezekiel 3 when God told Ezekiel to eat it, eat the scroll. This is his story about um, the Word in his life and how he became, you know, a paraphraser of the message. In other words, how he and why he developed the message. Um, And he talks about Lectio Divina in this as well. Really interesting read. If you're a fan of Eugene Peterson, that one's a great resource. And so I decided not to teach on Lectio Divina in this class because it goes deeper, broader, it's wider. It's <laughs> there's so much there, but I would recommend those to go deeper if that's like really interesting to you. And it's not just about meditation, but a lot of it is meditative in nature. So in other words, when you learn to meditate, you're also learning generally how to encounter God in his word. So think of it as a skill of skills. Once you learn how to do it, then you realize it's this whole source of life. And then you realize, oh, this is like not just a cool new age spirituality practice. Like this is something God has worked into the very fabric of who we are as humans and and we need it. Now there are scientific benefits to meditation, especially if you have anxiety, um, depression, stress, all these things. Meditation can actually bring new life to you uh, physiologically that you may not have experienced before. When I meditate, I regularly feel in my body like I'm asleep. But my consciousness is fully aware. It's remarkable. So I just want to say meditation is really life-giving. And I mentioned that before the second part of concentrated study, which is memorization. Because meditation in its purest form will naturally lead to and sometimes actually result in memorization. And so you could think of meditation as relaxed Lectio Divina or indirect Lectio Divina, and memorization is systematic Lectio Divina. So when you memorize the word, you're storing it for later meditation is one way to think of it, when you don't have the Bible in front of you. I think it's still an important practice in our day and age, even though we have everything that we ever wanted to learn at the, at the end of our fingertips, right? Even though I have literally over 10 Bibles And apps, memorization of the word is still important. So important that that was part of my 21-day challenge. And it's 
hard for me to do. Memorization is hard because it's a lot more like work. But I'll tell you what, the things that I've memorized in my life, never regretted a single word of it. So I just want to encourage you to memorize systematically the word in your notes for this class. If you're like, I don't know what to start with, I've given you 15 or 20 passages that I would recommend reading and memorizing. If you just want to start somewhere, you don't know where to start, you can start with those passages. So that's A, B, and C. My daughter right now is learning the ABCs, like the actual English ABCs. And it is so fun to hear. She gets to C, and then things get a little confusing. J! No, that doesn't come after it's D and E. K! <laughs> I even messed them up the other day because <laughs> she got me off track. <laughs> a, B, C, D. D in the ABCs, as I'm articulating them here for spiritual formation, is discovery study. So I would say get the ABCs down. Get A, B, and C because that's the first letters, right? Cover those in order. If you haven't read the whole word, the whole Bible, you, that's your first priority. If you haven't done a book study, do the book study and then memorization. Now, if, if you're an overachiever, you can do them simultaneously, but um, we're limited, so I would recommend in that order. And once you do that, it's like rinse and repeat. But I want to add D into the mix, which is discovery study. And I'm really thankful that this church, Harpeth Christian Church, has decided to incorporate what has been called for many years the discovery Bible study method, which is now shortened to just discovery study. This is what I would call corporate or communal study of God's Word at its best. And they've incorporated at our church this into our transformation groups, what we call our T groups. So after you go through the first, roughly the first half of the year with your group, then you move into what's called the discovery Bible study method. And this basically gives you everything you want in a Bible study with a group. So here's what I, I want to describe this by having everyone sort of give input into what do you want in a Bible study? And we'll see if the discovery Bible study method gets it. So if you would, list for me, kind of shout out on Facebook, you can comment. What are, what are the things that you really look for and want in a Bible study group? Think of a, a home group, a small group, um, a discipleship group. What are you looking for when you go to a Bible study group? Like, what do you want from that group in general? Shout it out. Okay, competent moderator. What else? What kind of focus? Okay, focus on, I'll call it purpose. What else? Deeper understanding, just of, of the word, I guess. Deeper understanding of the word. What about on online? Okay, what else? 
transformative. I like that. I'll call it just transformation. I don't know about you, but I want relationships with people too. Maybe even add on to that. What else do you guys look for? Okay, I'll just write consistency. Accountability. Yes. What else? Vulnerability is one for me. Um, and authenticity. What else? When you go to a Bible study, what are you looking for? When you, when you meet with your small group, what do you want? There's there's some things that are pretty common that aren't listed up here yet. Snacks. snacks. Like literal snacks. I love that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yep. Eat the word, eat some snacks. What about encouragement? What's another one? Life application, yes. Okay. Interaction, I'll call it insights. The other one was insights. What about prayer? What else? Anything? I guess a lot of them. The only one I would add, anyone? The only one I would add is some sort of outward focus. Okay, and I think we could kind of go on for a while. The discovery study will give you all those except for the snacks. You can bring snacks, though. That's up to you. It's just not in the study. Um, I have included... Let's see. Oh. It's a PDF attachment. It's a little long, so it's not printed off. But the discovery study um, questions are available, yes, as a PDF attachment. Um, so, I, But this is the reason I, I didn't want to like print it off um, and give it to you right now. Because you need to experience it. And I know that's a tough sell. But that's really the only way to really get it. If I just hand you the questions, which I basically did in the PDF, then you, you might miss it. Um, this method of Bible study was pioneered by missionaries in Asia. David Watson was, was I believe, the first one. So it's like, well, why was this method just discovered recently? Well, it's more like it was rediscovered. I think we've lost a lot of Bible study methodology. So it was primarily used for evangelism. But it works great for just discipleship, period, which includes evangelism, by the way. So what I would say is find somebody who knows how to lead a discovery study and learn from them and then do it, and then there's tools for it. Um, if you don't know anyone who knows how to do this, Google it. Maybe watch a video example or ask God to teach you how to do it. That would be like the last resort. But I just, I'm, I'm kind of leaving this ambiguous. This is what you will discover. This is what you will experience in a discovery study. I really wish it had snacks. They need to add that though. Essentially what it is, is there's about... Depending on the iteration, there's about 10 questions that you ask every week that you meet 
you bring new people in, and you discover the meaning of the word together by asking some essential questions that they've honed. A lot of people try and change the questions, but this has been honed for decades now. And so um, if you're learning it, submit yourself to it before you think about modifying it. But I would say learn to do it, and it will become a breath of new life in your corporate Bible study. So it's not the ABCs, but it's D. <laughs> I think it's that important because it especially provides an obedience-based and focused Bible study method, which is almost entirely absent in the way we do Bible studies today. It includes built-in accountability, encouragement, relational connection, the ability to bring in new people who don't know God. It's remarkable. And I've, had, I've done this for almost four years now, on and off. For two or three years, I did it with the young adults at this church. And it is the single greatest tool to even teach people how to read the Word. Hermeneutics are built into it. There's a spirituality to it because we ask God to speak to us specifically in it. So, discover, discovery study. And E, and this is kind of where I'll end it today, is every psalm. So you'll see on your handout or via PDF download, I've got a simple sheet called Reading the Psalms and Proverbs. And it's just a list of all the psalms with a checkbox next to it. Um, this is something my wife and I have been doing for the last nine months. We're just reading a psalm a day, trying to read, you know, most weekdays. We'll just read the psalm, and we'll write a word next to it on the sheet that represents that psalm to us. Maybe it's the word that stood out to us, or it, it sort of helps remind us of that so we can go back to it. And over the long haul... Like I was saying before, this is a long-haul sort of journey we're on with the Word. We will learn to use the songbook of the Bible. And I think that, you know, it's not just for worship leaders. This is for all of us. When they used to come to Jerusalem leading up to Passover, they would sing the Psalms of Ascent. It was a set of psalms, right? There's certain denominations that only sing the Psalms of the Bible. I think some of them, most of them do it a cappella. Now, I think that's going a little too far. But there's something to learn there. Learning to utilize the Psalms of the Bible is like learning to sing on, in Sunday worship. It's essential. And if you're not familiar with the Psalms yet, that's okay. You're just missing out. I mean, really. Because the Psalms will teach you the breadth of the experiences that you can have with God in prayer. And so it's really a bridge to prayer. Because we'll experience God's Word to us, and we can somehow mysteriously pray God's Word to God as He inspired it. And there's a deep mystery there for us to continually encounter. And I love the fact that there's 150 of them. Like, all right, that'll keep us busy for a while. Um, how beautiful is it that poetry is a part of the Bible? It's so dynamic. It's not just history. It's not just biography. It's not just Proverbs. It's not just apocalypse, revelation. It's also poetry. And I love the fact that a lot of the prophets have poetry mixed in. 
So as you learn the ABCs, and once you get those, move on to D and E. But do it in that order. I think that'll be really beneficial. The only ones that you might switch up are D and E. So there's that resource. I would say use this actual sheet. Go ahead and, and incorporate it when you're ready. And if you want to know more about the value of reading the Psalms, Thomas Merton's book, Praying the Psalms, which I read this year, is really helpful. It inspired me, especially as I lead my family, to think about um, the importance of the Psalms for us as a family. To be able to utilize God's Word in a moment of despair or confusion how are we going to know which psalm to go to if we haven't even read them all or if we're not somewhat familiar, if we don't even have some semblance of familiarity and personalization? And so if you have sort of a list, at a minimum, you could be like, I don't remember all of them, but that word sounds about like what I need right now. And then you'll have a personal reference point for it. So take the first steps. If you're like, look, Chad, I love everything you're talking about. I want that rich life with the Word of God. Start with A, B, and C, then do D and E, and then keep going, then repeat. It goes deeper, wider, and broader, but it doesn't go any shallow, or it, it doesn't go any less than those. You never move beyond the ABCs, in a sense. It always goes back to those. And so here's some advice that I'll I'll leave with you as we start moving towards the close here. You need to submit yourself to trusted Bible teachers. And this is really important for me to say because we've swung so far from a good part of the Catholic tradition that believed in authority and believes in authority. We, As Protestants, we've swung so far away from I don't need the priest as a mediator between me and God, and now everyone's their own priest in a negative way, right? In a sense, we're all ministers of God, but we've become our own authority, and that's not right. God puts us still, as Christians, under authority of particular people. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that Christ gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people for works of service. And if you're not submitting to teachers, then you're really in a dangerous position. So I would say, hey, all this stuff is personal, yes. It's corporate, yes. But it's not all a level playing field. There's some people who have devoted their lives to teaching, pastoring, you know, and these other gifts. And we need to submit it. We need it. We can't do all this. We, you know, a lot of us have jobs where it's like, no, I don't, I don't have time to study. I don't have time to understand all of it. And I say trusted Bible teachers because there's some people who have devoted their lives to it, but you shouldn't trust them. And that's another reason why we need to be a part of a local church where we're both known and we know the leaders. Because Bible teaching is not just information. It's also relationship. And, and so I would say study under trusted Bible teachers. Intentionally come under their teaching. And as you have opportunity, discuss the word with them. Like talk about it. Remember Jesus, remember Jesus, 
Jesus at age 12. He went to the temple and he both asked questions and made comments. Interesting. The Son of God asked questions about the Word. And it says they were amazed by both of those. Not just his comments, but also his questions. I think part of humility is asking good questions of solid teachers. We want it. Now, I'm not saying I'm a solid teacher, but I've at least spent a lot of time trying to be one. And I love good questions. In fact, we're going to have time for that here. Um, And I would also say you can trust people that you don't know who are Bible teachers and scholars. Read their books. I've listed resources on your handout uh, for today, the class notes, under each of the, the five things, A, B, C, D, E. I've given you resources, resources that I trust, that you can go to to go deeper. Um, find people who are reliable and study under them, whether you know them or not. And I would just reemphasize this. Study the word in community. The more privatistic and individualistic your study is, the more susceptible you are to false teaching, to misinterpretation, and I would say even heresy. Can you say that again? The more, yeah, I can say that again. The more privatistic and individualistic your study is, the more susceptible you will be to misunderstanding, misinterpretation, and even heresy. And this is the great danger of the Protestant church. that we're arrogant in our study. And it's really been detrimental to many people. Now, I'm not anti-denomination. I'm not anti-Protestant. I am for biblical teaching. And the Bible says we need to submit to teachers and leaders. Which means that we don't know it all. It also means that it does take time and study to arrive at certain conclusions that you do not have access to. If you don't know the original languages, it's like, that's okay. You don't need to go learn them all. Trust people who have learned them. Trust people who are trustworthy, not all the people, right? But what I'm saying is, reading the Bible doesn't mean that you can immediately understand it. It doesn't work for anything else in life. Some things in the Bible are very complex. And if you don't immediately understand it, you might need to spend more time in it. Also, you might need to ask questions. And that's okay. It's really important to read and to study in community. It's vitally important for the health of your life and the health of the church. And so I just want to end on this before we do questions. I want to say, just to inspire you, from Revelation chapter 2, says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, I know your deeds. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you are realizing today, man, that love for God, I lost it. Like it's not there. If you feel that, 
then hear this word from God's word. A hopeful word. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. Not muster up spiritual energies. It's, it's sometimes really simple. Those things you did in the early days of courtship with God. Do those. And if you've never done those, it's okay too. You can start. And God can rekindle the fire. He can breathe life into dry bones. I remember my friend Sarah Kinsley in college telling a story about how she became obsessed with God's Word. Where she was reading it night and day. I remember Paul, a worship leader in the church I was at during seminary in Kentucky. And he said, man... When he told his story, when I was young and new as a believer with the Lord, he said, I would get up early and read the word before work. I'd come home and because I was single, I'd read it for hours and hours. He said, that's all I did for years. The word of God is not a book to be analyzed only. It's a gift to be received with joy and delight. And if you've never experienced that, do it. And if you have and you've lost it, do it again. So the worksheet for this week is to pick your next companion for the next leg of your journey. Pick one book. So this assumes that most of us have read the whole Bible. If you haven't, go ahead and do that. But assuming you've read the whole Bible, pick your next companion. And I would say for the next three to six months, stay in one book of the Bible. This is something that Michael Casey talks about in Sacred Reading. He talks about the reason to stick with one book for a while. So I'll let you discover that. Um, so pick that as part of your spiritual formation plan. And then I would also suggest to pick a verse to memorize and to meditate on. Next week we'll talk about prayer. So this was the first word of prayer, God's word, and then we're going to learn how to pray next week. I'm really excited about it because I'm going to go through the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go in detail into the Lord's Prayer and talk about um, what do these things actually mean? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So I think it'll be a really rich time. Uh, Thank you guys so much. This has been good.